Let's just do a quick recap of what Matthew's about. The whole of Matthew's gospel, if you remember, is all linked to his main theme. Chapter 28, 18 to 20, the great commission. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that is where we're getting to in Matthew, the call to us as disciples to go out and make more disciples of all the nations of the earth. But there's a very important part of the Great Commission, before we get to our reading, that we sometimes forget. The main theme of Matthew is not just to go and make disciples of all nations. It is that King Jesus has been given all authority, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You see, Matthew is about the king's mission. It's about King Jesus and his authority over his mission, which is then given to us in order that we can go out and make disciples in his name, in his power, and under his authority. Matthew, in that sense, is not about our mission. If you remember, it is Jesus' kingly authority that we have been looking at in detail over the last few weeks. In chapters 8 and 9, we have been watching Jesus proclaiming his kingdom in action, haven't we? As we see Jesus exercise his authority over sin, nature, over evil and death, everything that prevails, a human life is swept away by Jesus and his authority and by the power of his word. And as we look back on that and the power of Jesus' authority... As we turn today to chapter 10 to look on the mission of the apostles and to look on the mission of the church, our starting point this morning is the comfort of just how much confidence we can have in the mission of the king. It really works, and Jesus is really in control. So with that in mind, let's read this passage together, and then I will pray for us. Matthew 10, 1 to 15. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or tunics, nor sandals nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Why don't I pray for us as we start? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much.
for what we have been looking at in Matthew. Thank you so much for the confidence that we can have in the mission of the King. Thank you so much for Jesus' authority. And Heavenly Father, I pray that as we see today, as we look on these uh, disciples who become apostles, who become sent ones of Jesus, as we see you pouring your authority and your gospel into them, so, Lord God, may we be excited about the mission that you have for us, those who have descended from these apostles as part of the church. Heavenly Father, excite us, we pray, for the gospel in your mighty name. Amen. Well, let's head into our first point this morning. You'll see them on your, on your service sheets by looking first at the king's mission. And to be able to understand what the apostles' mission is and therefore what our mission is, it is absolutely necessary for us to remind ourselves of what Jesus' mission is. What is the king's mission on earth? To remind ourselves of that, we have to go back to where Robin left off last week, the back end of chapter 9, right after these extraordinary feats of Jesus' authority that we've just been reminding ourselves of. We get this refrain in verse 35 that sums up exactly what Jesus is doing and what his kingly mission looks like. We read this, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. That, in a nutshell is the king's mission. But what does that actually mean? What does the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom mean? Well, as a helpful recap, the proclaiming of the gospel is the telling or speaking of the good news of Jesus Christ. And what is that good news? The good news is that the kingdom of God, the kingdom with Jesus Christ as the true king, has broken into this world. And the way into that kingdom is through the forgiveness of sins found only in this Jesus Christ. But what is this kingdom like? Well, it's an eternal kingdom where there is no sin or death or illness or fear or pain. And so as Jesus proclaims this kingdom, so he demonstrates what this kingdom looks like. As he heals the sick, casts out the demonic, battles evil and conquers death. His actions are to support what he is proclaiming, to prove that he alone has the authority to forgive sins, to prove that he alone is the true king of this pain and sin-free future experience as we wait patiently in the now and the not yet for it to be fully realized in the new creation. That is the gospel of the kingdom. And it is all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And it is also entirely unique There is no kingdom like it. There is no gospel like it. There is no king like King Jesus. This is the king's mission. The king's mission is to preach and to support his preaching by healing and casting out demons and raising people from the dead, to draw people to him as the Messiah, the sent one from God. His priority is to speak the gospel. But there's another important point to note here regarding this king's mission before we move on. And it is the fact that this mission, this proclamation, is not done randomly and dispassionately. This mission is delivered with incredible compassion. As Robin told us last week, Jesus' mission is one of shepherd-like compassion. Go back to chapter 9, 36 and 38. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
This is not just sad. It is a terrible indictment on, the, on those who are meant to be looking after the lost sheep of Israel. It is an indictment against the shepherds of Israel. And so Jesus has compassion on his sheep. And it is in that light of shepherds who have abandoned their posts that we see stage two of Jesus' mission. And that is the sending out of workers into the harvest of lost sheep to proclaim the gospel of this kingdom. And so in chapter 10, Jesus gets his own disciples, see, to be the answer to their own prayer in chapter 9, as Jesus sends them out in verse 6 of chapter 10 to the lost sheep of Israel. And this context is really important. Because what Jesus does here in chapter 10 is so much more than just sending out workers into this harvest. He is doing something that is going to stand the test of time. Verse 1 of chapter 10. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Why does Matthew list these 12 names? Why does Jesus resend these 12 disciples out again as apostles? Well, there is a good reason for it. 12 is an important number in the history of Israel. As we know, there are 12 sons of Jacob, and these 12 sons were to be the heads of each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And these were meant to represent the entirety of God's people. And so very blatantly, can you see, as Jesus is counting out his 12 and naming them and sending them out into the world under his own authority for his mission, King Jesus is in fact establishing a new Israel. And thereby he is also establishing a new leadership, new under-shepherds that are to supplant, if you like, the Jewish leaders who have so failed their sheep. These men are the new shepherds of God's people. And the lost flock under the old shepherds are going to be wooed back again into this new kingdom by the proclamation of this new gospel. In short, these 12 men, don't they, represent the church. And this is where we get to the crunch of Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission is to reconstitute Israel around him in a brand new way to show that the Jews and later the Gentiles what the promise of land, children, and blessing that God gave to Abraham really looks like. The kingdom of God is no longer confined to the borders of one land, but is now going to spread like wildfire beyond the Jews and conquer the lives of billions around the globe. The king's mission is to establish the church. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, Jesus will soon say, as you draw people through the mission of the king into this new people of God with the authority of Christ himself. The mission of the king is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. The mission of the king is to send out his workers, his apostles, to continue this mission of proclamation. And the mission of the king is, through these apostles, to establish the church as the people of God, the new Israel. Now just consider that for a moment. What is going on here is monumental. Have you ever considered that this passage that we are reading today is day one of the history of Chalmers Church? As Jesus sends out these apostles, he knows exactly what this will all look like in the future to come. 
Jesus' mission on earth was to establish the the bedrock for for Chalmers Church and billions of others. Which in turn we hope and pray if, if we remain fast to nothing but the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ continues to churn out further workers in this harvest which will set up further churches which will further proclaim the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. It's never ending. And it's never failed. The privilege we have of looking back to Matthew 10 These 12 apostles could only imagine what it was all going to look like. Does this not give us incredible confidence in Jesus' mission? It works. Jesus' mission is to establish the worldwide church, mighty and powerful as an army with banners, as C.S. Lewis puts it. And it was these 12 normal men who were to do it under Jesus' authority. And it is us today who sit here as a testament to Jesus the King and his mission, and a testament to that product of an unrelenting lineage of grace. Is that not incredible? In my worst moments as a Christian, when I fear whether the gospel has any power at all, in my mission to my friends, in my chatting about Jesus, in my looking at the world big and powerful before me, I only need to look at the worldwide church And to look at what Jesus does and says and accomplishes in the Bible to be entirely confident that he's got this sorted. However, back to Matthew. We're not there yet. We are still in this small embryonic stage of Jesus' mission. And that brings us on to our second point. As the question now is, what are these apostles being sent to do and how are they to do it? What takes them from these 12 to the church that we see today? Well, this brings us to the Apostles' Mission. Now, I've realized all too late just how dangerous it is having a child living in your house. Dangerous in the sense that they watch your every move. Quite often I'll be engrossed in something and, and, and for a while, and I'll feel two tiny little eyeballs boring into the back of my neck. And I know Toby's there somewhere, and I wheel around, and there's Toby just, just sort of standing there looking at me quizzically in this sort of weird expression all the time. It freaks me out. And, and he's watching me because he wants to see what I'm doing and how I do it. And as a consequence, whatever I do, or whatever Jen does, Toby, all of 18 months, immediately copies, and with remarkable mimicry. And in some cases, that's quite cute. And in other cases, that's not so cute. For example, quite often when I, when I get a, a call on my mobile phone, I'll be at my desk, and, and, and I answer it, and, and I walk through the hallway into the bedroom, I kick open the door, and I, and I speak on the phone, and I march around the bed. Any of you who know me knows I can't keep still. And so when I'm on the phone, I, I just sort of walk around the bed in a weird kind of way. Well, now it turns out that when the phone rings, and Toby now often gets to it first, he'll pick it up, he'll put it to his face, he'll start talking into it, he'll go into the hallway, he'll go into the bedroom, and he'll march around the bed, talking and shouting down the phone. Now that's quite cute. What is not so cute is when I try to take it off him and he just says, no, Toby, to my face. (laughs) It's not great. Kids mimic everything you do. May that be a warning to you all. And here in Matthew, in, in a profoundly more glorious way, we see that this is effectively what these disciples are called to do. They are called quite definitively to mimic Jesus. In fact, just as 
Toby is becoming a little Samor, which is horrifying. Paul Clark, who spoke to us last week, a few weeks ago, if you remember, he says that these apostles are to be like mini-Jesuses. They're not Jesus, they're not saviors any more than Toby is literally me, but they are called to mimic Jesus' words and his actions exactly. Chapter 10, verse 1. They are to cast out demons and to heal every disease and affliction. Those words are exactly the same words that describe the king's mission as we read in chapter 9, verse 35. They are also told in verse 7 to proclaim, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Exactly the same words that describe Jesus' mission in chapter 4, verse 17. In short, these apostles are to do exactly what Jesus did. They are to mimic him in everything that he does and in everything that he says. And so the apostles were to, verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. All the things that Jesus did. In verse 8, they were also meant to give their message, you notice, without demand of payment, to sort of differentiate themselves away from all the other itinerant preachers who did demand payment. Verse 9, they are told to acquire no gold or silver or copper coins for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff. They were to be laborers, living on the food of others. In short, these apostles were meant to not only look like Jesus and sound like Jesus, But they were to live like him too, and to be entirely dependent on him, just as Jesus Christ depended entirely on his Father in heaven. These twelve are mini-Jesuses. And so the responses that these apostles receive are also exactly the same responses that Jesus got. Acceptance and rejection, verse 13. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Just as Jesus was rejected and received, so will the apostles be as they carry out his message. What Jesus shows, therefore, in himself as the way to get people into this kingdom, so he institutes the same method in his disciples. This is the definition of training, isn't it? Watching a master, seeing him work, and looking upon the final outcome, and then being told, you go and do it, and I'm going to help you. These men are apprentices, copying Jesus step by step in his mission to the world. The mission of the king, can you see, is beginning to expand in the mission of the apostles. And so the obvious thing, then, is to apply it to us, isn't it? As Jesus did, so followed the apostles. As the apostles did, so follow us. And so we speak the words of Jesus, do the works of Jesus, live the life of Jesus, remain entirely dependent on Jesus, and be accepted and rejected like Jesus. Now, that is true in part, but it is not entirely accurate, is it? Because we have to remember that the apostles' mission is itself, like Jesus' mission, unique. And we know this because there's a problem here, isn't there? And the problem is, what do we do about the healing of the sick or or the casting out of demons or the raising of the dead? Are we, like the apostles, called to do these things as well as speaking the gospel? Well, the answer is no. And we run into problems, don't we, if we try to appropriate these miraculous works of Jesus and the apostles into our lives. For, For starters, we just can't do them. We just can't do it. We can't raise the dead. I can't lay my hand on someone and and heal them in a moment. No matter how much faith or prayer we might be told we need to muster, that's wrong. 
And that's because that's not what Matthew is saying. That's not what Jesus is doing here. For starters, what we read in the Bible it is not written to us, it is written down for us. And what Matthew is allowing us to see is that there is a plan, what Jesus is allowing us to see is that there is a plan and a certain progress to this mission that looks different in this early stage. For starters, you wouldn't say, would you, that a new church structure would, should always have 12 men called apostles over it. That, that's not what the apostles represent. They represent the church as a whole. They were a unique group of people. That is a one-time event, the sending of the apostles. Furthermore, look at where these apostles are sent to. Verse 6, they are sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and not, verse 5, to the Gentiles. Well, that's simply not where we are in Edinburgh. Well, we are not called to go specifically only to the Jews who are living in Israel, to, to the exclusion of everyone else. We would never say that of this passage. Again, there is a progress to this mission. In Acts 1, Jesus says to the disciples that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. The proclamation of the gospel starts in Israel, says Paul to the Jews first, and then to the Gentiles. In verse 18 in this chapter, that we'll see next week, we see this progress being played out. The Gentiles will be introduced into this mission, where the apostles will go to. Indeed, the Great Commission itself will format the idea of now us being able to go to the ends of the earth. But here in Matthew 10, that next stage of Christ's mission hasn't happened yet. Jesus and his apostles are just at this moment concerned with the lost, harassed sheep of Israel. This is their concern for now. Likewise, therefore, we are not called to do these miraculous works of Jesus that the apostles are allowed to do and are given power to do. These are definitively given to the apostles as a unique expression of Christ's mission. This early embryonic stage of the church is different. Why? Well, I think it is because Jesus has not died and resurrected yet. You see, Jesus is the fullest example of the kingdom of God. He is it. And so he is allowed to show off miraculously and with his authority what this kingdom of God is like physically. And in verse 7, we see this phrase that the kingdom of God is at hand. We read that all the way through Matthew. In other words, that the kingdom of God is physically close to those lost sheep of Israel, in Jesus, in proximity, in the person of Jesus Christ. So too, then, are the disciples allowed to do the same works as his immediate representatives as they kickstart what is an incredible, colossal idea of heaven breaking into earth as they literally point to the physical representation of the glory of God, Jesus Christ. The apostles' role, as Willie Phillip puts it, was to announce loudly and drastically this brand new radical kingdom. He says it makes sense that they were allowed to do these things. This time with Jesus was entirely unique and never again replicated in the same way. It has to be unique, doesn't it? If, if this is to announce the kingdom of God breaking into the world, it's going to be different. And consider, too, what is going to come out of these 12 apostles. The church. The worldwide church that we see today. In reality, how would anyone have any confidence in these men if they didn't look so much like the king they claim to represent? And the ones whom the prophets were pointing towards, saying that they will heal the sick. The Apostle Paul calls these men the foundations of the household of God. Matthew wants us to have confidence in the Apostles and in their message. 
And that is important because these guys are a vital link in the chain between Jesus Christ and us. If it wasn't for these reliable men, we would not know the message of Jesus. If it wasn't for their Christ-like works and their Christ-like words. Their role has to be unique. These apostles are different. They are of Jesus' immediate stock. But the fact that we don't do these things today doesn't make us doubt Jesus. It makes us confident in him and entirely confident in the message of his apostles. They really did have the gospel of the kingdom of God handed to them by Jesus Christ, the Messiah. I trust implicitly what they say. So why do we not do these things today? Well, because we are not living fully in the final consummation of the kingdom of Jesus. We are in part in that this kingdom has come, but we aren't fully in that we are still waiting to see it properly. And boy, when we turned on our TVs this morning, do we know that's true? The works of Jesus and the works of the apostles were a foretaste, if you like, of what is to come. In fact, Jesus says as much back in chapter 9, verse 14. Jesus says, while the bridegroom is here, there is much feasting. But when the bridegroom is gone, there will be much fasting. He's saying that this time of miracle and announcement will not last. And we will go back to living the incomplete life. Waiting for what the world has merely tasted. For that great day where we will really feel what it is like to be with Christ in our perfect sinless bodies. The truth is, the announcement stage and the time of the person of Jesus Christ specifically on earth is over. We are now in the age of the church. And that brings us to our last point this morning, our mission. Now let's be careful. Can God work out the miraculous in our world today? Absolutely he can and he does. More likely than not, it is in places in the world where the gospel has never been heard, where new ground perhaps is needing to be broken, where powerful revelation in that sense may be needed. But we are not to expect it, and it is rare indeed. However, is it true to say that we don't then live in an age of miracle and wonder? Not at all. We live in the age of the greatest movement of the miraculous in the history of mankind. We live in the age of the church. Today is Pentecost Sunday. We live in the age of the Spirit. We hear stories of miracles of salvation every day, just like we did this morning of a 95-year-old woman two weeks before she died. People every day are dead and being raised to life because of the gospel. We live in the age of harvest. We live in the age of worldwide mission. We live in the age of the gospel having gone through Jerusalem, through Judea, through Samaria, and now is going to the ends of the world. And therein lies our mission. To preach and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God as proclaimed and as handed down to us by these faithful, reliable, confirmed and proven apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that people from any part of the world can become a part of the people of God. Inaugurated by Christ, established under the apostles and built on the word of God. What a time to be alive! You know, sometimes I go home and I groan about the difficulties of this job. But there is nothing I would rather do. Seeing all of you every week, 
praying and battling and reading and striving and contending for the gospel, attempting haltingly to speak to friends about Jesus, falling into sin, repenting, getting back up again, suffering badly, not letting go, forgiving each other, loving each other, raising money, buying buildings, writing material, attending meetings, all for the sake of being part of the greatest miracle you could possibly imagine by preaching the gospel of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing better we can be doing We must preach the gospel. We must live out the gospel. We must plant churches. We've got to speak to people about Jesus. And this is not a guilt trip. This passage in Matthew 10 says it's a really difficult job. As we are rejected by the world, and and as we'll see next week in the very next verse, we will be like sheep being sent out amongst wolves, as we do, like the apostles, have to depend on Jesus for everything, from our protection to our money to our possessions to our daily bread. But all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, and so therefore we can go. You see, these passages are not to condemn us or to make us feel guilty. These passages... And the Great Commission is to give us confidence. You can do this, says Jesus. I'm with you. You're not on your own. All authority has been given to me, therefore, go. We do this in Christ's strength, and just like the apostles, entirely fully dependent on Christ and his authority. This is not our message. It is the king's. It is not our authority with which we speak. It is the king's. It is not our strength in which we go, it is the king's. It is not our gospel which we proclaim, it is the king's. Isn't it great as we read in this passage this morning that the apostles were not responsible in any way for the reaction they got? Those who rejected the gospel were simply left to the Lord. The apostles did not have to prove themselves like itinerant preachers who had to with the number of converts they got. So too, when they were accepted, it was all down to the king's mission and his gospel, not down to the apostles. They couldn't boast in their success. Likewise, we do not bear the weight of responsibility for what seems like rejection, and neither do we puff ourselves up when people come to the Lord. We rejoice and give thanks to the Lord for gospel success and praise the Lord that we can leave the consequences of his mission up to him. All we are told to do is go and preach the gospel. And the consequences are serious, aren't they? These last two verses leave us sobered. They leave us in this passage very much with the reality of what the apostles and thereby us are dealing with. This is not any gospel. And the rejection of this gospel is serious indeed. Verses 14 and 15, If anyone will not receive your, listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, It will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Sodom and Gomorrah, the the, the bywords for destruction, that is what it will be like for those who don't listen to the words of the apostles. Guys, if if you are not yet a Christian here this morning, if you have lived your life perhaps assuming that you are, don't wait and see whether Jesus Christ was right or not about eternal life when it's too late. He proves that he is right. The reason the apostles were sent out was to warn people. This is serious. 
The God of heaven, the creator, has made himself known. And we need the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ to make us right with him. That makes sense. And living in defiance or even brushing him off, that is not enough. You need to come to Jesus now. Don't wait till you're 95. For those of us who are Christians, doesn't this give us a sense of real urgency? People are dying without Jesus. And we are being sent out to tell people about the way, the truth, and the life. We have that news, so we need to tell them. It's interesting in verse 14 that it is the words of the apostles that are so very important. If anyone will not receive your words, it is the words of Jesus about the gospel of the kingdom, the the words of the apostles about the gospel of the kingdom. It's the words of the whole of the Bible concerning the gospel of the kingdom that we are meant to be obsessed with. Our actions don't carry the spoken words of the gospel in that sense. As much as we act like Christ in all his goodness and love and care, and as much as we get involved in social justice, indeed, by their fruits you will know that they are my disciples. But we are to be a speaking people. And the words we speak are to be the exact words of the apostles, which were the exact words of Jesus Christ himself. We have a gospel to proclaim, Chalmers, and this gospel is real life, transformative life. And unlike every single politician over the past six weeks, we are not spinning this. As much as we are not exactly like the apostles, we are meant to have their attitude and carry their gospel exactly. The apostles in this passing from one village to the other with nothing but the clothes on their backs were meant to live with this restless compulsion. Paul Clark calls them a single-minded band of messengers, never remaining too long, never picking up on creature comforts. And as we'll see next week, always in danger. Are we like that? Are we like that? Do, Do we have this restless compulsion for the gospel? What gets me up in the morning? What excites me most? Is it the gospel of the kingdom of God? Because it should be. Therefore, are we using every opportunity we have in work and at home, in our normal everyday lives, to speak of this gospel of life? Do you believe that what we read here of Jesus and his mission of the apostles and their mission of the way this kingdom has broken uniquely into the world, of the way that the words of Jesus and the words of the apostle wield incredible power, that that pull people into this new people of God, do we really believe that the gospel works? Are we confident in this king and in this gospel? If we are, then we need to be telling it. What this passage is telling us is that Jesus' mission is the mission of the church. And as the apostles take on Jesus' mission as representatives of the church, so we, as part of the church, carry it on. That's how we are to read this into our situation today. And because as much as this does have an individual challenge to us, the application here is also very corporate. The Great Commission is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Baptism can only be done under the authority of the church, just as we saw beautifully this morning. And just as the apostles were given authority as the head of the church en masse to go and proclaim the gospel, so we, the church, carry the same proclamation, the same words, the same message. The mission of the king is the mission of the church. 
The end of the Great Commission says that we are to teach everyone to observe everything that Jesus had commanded us, commanded the apostles. And just as we observe the apostles in their mission to the king and see what they were commanded to do, so we observe and so we obey what we are commanded to do as we carry on Christ's mission under the authority of the king, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. Let's pray together as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you so much for this incredible gospel of life. Heavenly Father God, thank you so much that we can be confident in the, in the message of the King and in this new kingdom. Heavenly Father God, thank you so much for the faithful apostles. Thank you that the gospel that they preach is the gospel that Christ preached. And so it is the gospel that we preach. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to be really burdened for the lost where we are in this city, in Morningside. There are so many people who are dying without Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us a real urgency, that we would want to go and tell people about this incredible gospel and about this incredible King. Heavenly Father, give us courage, we pray. Help us to speak the name of Jesus, we ask. In your mighty name. Amen.